Clap, clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands podcast, hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands podcast, brought to you by Odyssey Sports, brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP. First, before we get into what was really a disappointing game, I think, to say the least, an exciting game, a beautiful game, all offense, no defense, but certainly a game that uh, the Sixers dropped to one and three to start this uh, stretch of four games on a critical stretch of the schedule coming up. But Kyle, before we start, I have a, I have a piece of advice for you. Okay, so go ahead. I was waiting <laughs> for you to just drop it on me. Okay, so if you have a take, just drop it as soon as you have the take. My guy, Kyle... Tweets that he was going to write an article saying that Maxi should start. The article's was, already done. That's what like, I'm saying. Yeah. Just let's just be clear here. Out. The yes. reason the article on Maxi was not published for anyone who didn't see it, I tweeted before the game that I have this article on Maxi written. The only reason it was not published is because the uh, the editorial process slowed mm. things up a little bit. That's not a. I'm not calling anybody out or saying it's anyone's <laughs> fault. But it was I was done with this article this afternoon. So uh, well, I think a uh, a good lesson to live by is if you don't tweet it, you'll read it. So it gets me in trouble sometimes. But if you have the take, just fire that bad boy out. But the real lesson is Kyle was early. I mean, you have to wonder if uh, Doc Rivers is looking in the back end of of uh, you know of, of the website, <laughs> phillyvoice.com. Yeah, to see what he should be doing. But and, I mean, the big news from the game, other than the loss, which of course we'll get into, but. Tyrese Maxey goes into the starting lineup, ends up having a pretty good game, but the Sixers ultimately lose. The Mavs shoot unbelievably from three. I think they ended almost 50, 55% from three for the game. Unbelievable stretch in the third quarter. I mean, a lot to dive into from this one, but Kyle, I guess just just to start off, what is your biggest takeaway from either the game or if you want to get into Maxey first? Just just what, what do you come away from that from tonight thinking? I come away thinking that there should never be a back-to-back played in Miami and Dallas. Respectively. <laughs> like, so I tweeted this during the game. I do. Mm-hmm. Th- I don't, you know, I don't think there are, I don't know what the intersection of English premier league fans and our podcast listeners is. I, I would actually guess pretty high to be quite like honest. what the overlap is, but I, I yeah. do think it's interesting that I listen to like, I follow Liverpool as I've said on the podcast. And I think it's always interesting reading, you know, how the coaches, players, journalists who cover the team talk about Champions League and cup games mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, man, they have this game Tuesday. Can you believe they have to go to like London, London on Tuesday and then play <laughs> again on Saturday? And it's like, dude, do you understand how grueling the NBA schedule is by comparison and like how ridiculous it is that. The Sixers get in at 1.30 a.m. last night, have to wake up after having played a game last night without Joel Embiid. So guys are playing either more minutes or if they're not playing more minutes, right. the minutes they're playing are more strenuous because they don't have Joel there to do you know, the heavy lifting that he tends to do. And then they got to go and chase Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic for four quarters. So that's an absurd thing that like, Again, it's never going to change. I don't even know why I always bring up that the NBA needs to change the schedule. They're never going to give up the money. And just take away games. Just take away games. But But that's the easiest solution in the world 
to fix the NBA, then again, this is I'm really going off the rails here. To start yeah, the seriously. I mean, you're basically saying it's a uh, it's a schedule loss, is what I hear you saying. Well, but I Kyle, Kyle I don't agree with there. that. There's no yeah. such thing as a schedule loss. This is as close to one as you're gonna get. But the easiest way to fix the NBA is that they only play a couple, two to three games a week maximum. And mm-hmm. the NBA, like the thing people don't understand with football, football is like a great sport. People like it for the theatrics and the drama and the X's and O's and everything else. A big reason people love football is they own days of the week. Like Sunday is the NFL's day. Saturday is the NCAA's day in football. Monday mm-hmm. night, Monday night football has got the prestige. People tune in to watch these shitty Thursday night football games just because, you know, that's, that's on yeah. the calendar. It happens every week. Whereas the Sixers play and it's like, oh man, they had this great feel good win over Miami on Wednesday night. They're nine and four without Joel Embiid somehow, despite the fact that everyone thinks their bench stinks and they're going to lose because of the backup center. Paul Reed basically has the game of his life. Mm-hmm. And the good vibes from that game last less than 24 gone, hours. Yeah. And then the Mavericks make 25 threes or whatever it is. And it's just like, it's a bummer. Like, that is to me the biggest reason why, other than the Sixers, like own faults and things, it's the biggest reason why there's so much angst about everything the Sixers do. Because even when they do have a good moment, that moment is so small and so insignificant in the grand scheme of things that I get why fans are focused on this kind of stuff. Cause it's like, all right, you did this. Now, what have you done for me lately? Oh, well, Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic both scored 40 points tonight. Who yeah. the fuck cares if you beat Jimmy Butler and what have you? Like, well, I get it, yeah. but it sucks that that's how it's set up. So you brought up the NFL and scheduling, and I can't believe we're going to start this pod kind of explaining away the loss. Cause I don't really think that's how many fans feel. And I'm not saying it no. is a. I don't. I'm not saying it is a schedule loss, but I do think one similarity between this loss and the NFL schedule is sometimes when you just run into a more desperate team, it just is what it is. The Mavs were, I think, one in five in their last six heading into this. Luke and Kyrie had to get a win together. You saw that and how well they played tonight. The Sixers are coming off a back to back, and maybe it's just because I don't really care about defense. And I do actually really want to ask you about why you thought the defense struggled. But I, I leave this game, like this game specifically, not feeling that bad. Maxi looked awesome. Harden looked awesome. Embiid was pretty good. Like to me, that's what ultimately matters because the Mavs aren't in the Eastern Conference. They're not going to face the Mavs in the playoffs until if they were to get to the finals. And let's be real, the Mavs aren't going to be there. Or at least I'd say unlikely to be there. But when I, when I do think about overall, because we haven't talked, I believe, since the loss to Miami, the win over Miami, and then this Dallas game, I mean, they're one. The, the Sixers are now one and three in their last four. So as desperate are them as the Mavs were, the Sixers also needed this win somewhat. So while I agree with you that this is a bit of look, it's back to back. It's a trip from Miami to Dallas. The Mavs shoot unbelievably. All those things are true. We spent uh, probably a month of this podcast saying the big stretch is coming up. It's going to be hard, but this is going to be a chance to see where they're at. Maury himself, and I think James Harden has said this too, is. This is a chance to see where they're at compared to other great teams. So when you look on a macro scale, it's been an awesome year for the Sixers, right? I mean, I think they're probably a little further behind the Mavs and the Celtics than you would like, but Embiid's been awesome. Harden's been awesome. But when you look at this stretch that they themselves said to grade them off of, it's not going well. Like you can pick little positives from each game, but the bottom line is they lost to the Celtics, they lost to the Heat at home, and now they've lost to the Mavericks. So, I mean, I think that, while you're right that each one can has its own positives 
overall, it's it's not good. Yeah, so I agree with basically all of that. And I want to just say that that old, whole preamble about the schedule and all that. The other thing that comes with it is, look, we've been talking about, or at least I have. I feel like, I've again, I've been the Mr. Positive all throughout this <laughs> podcast somehow. I, I can't sit here and tell you all these things about, you know, I believe they're a real contender and, you know, James Harden is different and Joel Embiid is better and, you know, they're deeper than ever and so on and so forth. Doc has done a decent job this year, even if people right. don't like him. You can't say all those things and then be like, well, you know, they're just, they lost that game and, you know, they're, they're going to lose that game every time. Like mm-hmm. the mark of champions and, you know, you know this from covering football and covering a couple of Super Bowl type teams, yeah. one that actually won the Super Bowl is that, Great teams find ways to manufacture wins no matter what it takes. Like if you're on the road, you're in a bad situation. The Eagles played on Monday Night Football the, the week before. They're on a short week yeah. on the road, on the West Coast, whatever. You figure it out. You find ways to win. You play with your backup quarterback. You find a way to win. And they did do that on Wednesday night. I thought the game against Miami is one that, you know, that's one you really take heart from. Like it's not an ideal situation. You're without your best player against a tough, physical, defensive Miami team, and you just kick the crap out of them. Like, that's really good. So the uh, fact that you're able to do that, and then you come back the next night against Dallas, and everyone just throws their hands up, and say, or including myself a little bit, and says, well, they made a million threes. Like, yeah, that's not good enough. They do need to find ways to win. We don't want to get to a situation where you're just giving up on conceding, like, the number two seed to whether it's Boston or Milwaukee. And honestly, like, I feel like you and I have been talking about, well, Boston is this no doubt guaranteed number one seed. Milwaukee is on a 16 game winning streak mm-hmm. and very well could be the number one seed in the conference. And well, I think they're all the these number things one seed we, right now, aren't they? That, they but were, that's I what think. I mean. They are right yeah, now. Yeah. And right. we could end up at the end of the year and all this talk about, well, I think the Sixers can beat Milwaukee. That might be irrelevant. They might just play Boston in round two. And yeah. I think you and I and a lot of other people would sit here and say, you know, I think they're going to lose. I think Boston has had their number. They consistently beat them. They've been a better team more consistently than the Sixers have been. So every game matters. Like we can say all this stuff about tough schedule and they're working on lineups and the opponents are really good or they had a hot shooting night or whatever it is. End of the day, they have to win games. They have to put themselves in the best position heading into the playoffs. And, you know, that's sort of the trick with we're finally going to get to the maxi thing, I think, or my brain's finally getting there. Yeah. But that's the tough part. It's like Doc is in – Doc – I shouldn't say Doc. The team is in this weird place, right? It's the two timelines thing you've referred to where maxi really isn't on the same timeline as Joel and James. Like we're talking about – the need to develop Tyrese for who he's going to be two years from now, three years from now, four or five years from now, even when he's right. hitting his real prime, when they need him to be his best and the team around him to be at their best right now. Like they can't live through these stretches where, okay, one game Tyrese is like four for 18. And then the next game Tyrese has a game like he had tonight where he's awesome in that fourth quarter, pulls them back in the game. They need him to be a consistent, I don't know if it's 20 points, I don't know what the actual number is, but a consistent, effective shooter, instant offense off the bench, or a consistent guy in the starting lineup. And 
it's just a really tricky thing. And it's one of many things that they're juggling as we come into this stretch run. So I spent, I would say, almost all game thinking about whether or not I thought it was the right decision to start Maxi or the, whether they should have kept him on the bench. And I still think I'm somewhat undecided about it. So I know you had an article that I guess will be up tomorrow um, talking about why they should start Maxi. They did it tonight. Um, tell me why you think it's a good idea. Because I see some, I see both sides, to, to be honest. I really can't decide where I fall on it. Well, so it, it's pretty simple if you want to start him. He's more important than DeAnthony Melton long-term, just mm -hmm. period. Whether you're saying he's the higher upside player, he's the guy you're more likely to trade and has real value if you're going to do that, that you have to you know, pump up his value as much as possible. He looks better and is better when he's playing next to James Harden. Like His numbers with James are undeniably good and, and just much better when, excuse me, when Maxi has to lead these units by himself and do all the or at least try to do all the the playmaking and you know the other type of stuff that he doesn't have to do with James out there all that adds up to yeah sure start Tyrese like there are very real reasons to do that and if you're just looking at pure on-off numbers or pure five-man lineup numbers the maxi with the other four guys lineup is better than Melton with the other four guys lineup. And that was sort of the argument the other way, right? Yeah, early Melton on. gets put yeah. in the starting lineup. The discrepancy is large. And you say, well, okay, like I think they should start Maxi for a lot of long-term reasons. But if those immediate short-term gains are there to be had with Melton and you get some gain from, you know, Maxi adds firepower to your bench, let's see what happens. Now, because it's swung the other way, I think it's, you know, in the same respect that, Doc went back to Paul Reed after Trez got a run. Like Trez did have a moment early, early in the season where it was like, okay, he's given you decent production yeah. off of the bench. Let him play for a little bit. Doc rode that for too long. And I think he's probably ridden DeAnthony in the starting lineup specifically for too long. But I think even if the numbers were closer, it's we're at a point in the season where you say, okay, now it's just time to see something different. It's time to try something new. We're doing different things with the bench. James is leading these lineups uh, to start the second and fourth quarters most nights. He did not actually mm -hmm. tonight. I don't know. Uh, Doc was making some changes to the rotation in that way. But if you're doing that, then there's room for experimentation elsewhere. So I think there are a lot of reasons to try this, but mostly it's just Tyrese is really good. He's If he's not their third best player every night, and and he's not because you know he has his ups and downs like everybody mm -hmm. else. He's still their third most important player. Like you could see that even in this loss, he's the guy who swung that game back where it went from. I know the game was close in the end, and the Sixers had a chance and all that. It really was not a close game in the second half. Is one of those fluky type comeback wins. But Maxi's the guy who gave you that chance. He's even Joel and James. I don't think are capable of that sort of like. Oh my God, it was a 10 nothing run in the yes. span of 90 seconds. And it was basically all maxi. As good as Joel is, and as good as you know James has been this year, they're good in different ways. And they're not really in that style where it's like, oh wow, Maxi just made three threes and a a runner that hit the top of the backboard in the span of you know two minutes. So my, my counter to that would be, you used a phrase in there, you know, experimenting, right? Ex putting Maxi back in, experimenting with some different rotational stuff. And I know the playoffs aren't next week, right? But 
ideally at this point of the season, you would like to have a really good feel on how you want to run things, who you want your starters to be, what you want your rotations to be. So tell me if you think I'm wrong about that. Like, is there a, is there a concern with the fact that in the biggest stretch of the year going into the Milwaukee game, which it might not end things for the number two seed for them, but will certainly make things a lot more difficult if they lose that game and only, I don't know, however many games until the playoffs, is this the time to be experimenting? Because with Maxi, you already pulled the Band-Aid off. Like, you already benched him. He was on the bench for, what, two months now? Six weeks, something like that? He's been on the bench for, for a while. So I think now to put him back in all of a sudden, is it worth shaking things up? I know you say the numbers are better with Maxi. Were they that much better than with Melton at this point? Had, had it swung that drastically? It's a huge discrepancy. Like, I, okay. I would have to pull up the, the stats right now. And honestly, after that game, well, just ignore probably, that game tonight. Yeah, just so, going into tonight. I believe the difference is something like 14 points per 100 possessions. Oh, which wow. Which is a okay. lot. A yes. lot. So like, it is not, it's not a situation where it's like, oh, man, they're close. And one team's better or one group's better on defense. The other's better on offense. This is one where it is a just decisive victory for the maxi lineup. Now, here's the important thing. One, the maxi lineup is like one third of the possessions. So there are a lot of things to consider. What types of lineups did they play against? How many, or what is the opponent they're playing that night? Mm -hmm. Like the Melton lineup, they've played against Boston recently and Cleveland and all these other good teams. Whereas there are a lot of soft games probably for maxi in that starting lineup. So, you know, that's stuff that we have to, to consider, but, you know, end of the day, like I said, I, I do think that because he's so important. Uh, well, let's I would circle back for a second. The experimentation thing. I absolutely think they need to keep experimenting because even though the playoffs point, are really close. Yeah. I mean, so to use a smaller example, George Niang has been horrible lately, mm-hmm. like has not been able to shoot the ball. If George Niang doesn't shoot the ball in the playoffs and they have no backup plan that's a gigantic problem for the Sixers because he has been, you know, this critical component of their team. Now think about how small of a role Niang has relative to Melton or Maxi. Mm-hmm. So let's just say we get to the playoffs and for whatever reason, Melton struggles to shoot or, you know, Tucker is just not built for a certain match. Tucker gets hurt or Tucker looks yeah. physically like he did at the beginning of the season. And, they haven't worked on multi-guard lineups or maxi in the starting lineup or any of these different things that, you know, they might need to turn to. If you have to then go back to something that we haven't seen since, I don't know, the beginning of the season, because you can't even say December or November, really, because November Harden is hurt for the entire month. Yeah. Maxi's out from late November and or mid to late November until the end of December so we're talking about, you know, some of these groups or starting lineups and things you wouldn't have seen since like late October when this was a totally different team with a different mood from myself, you, all the fan base, mm-hmm. the people covering the team, people nationally who watch the team. So I do think there's a really good case to be made that, yeah, they should be doing different things. And really, it's more importantly, they should have been doing this stuff all throughout January and February. I know that, you know, Melton in the starting lineup worked, but the thing with Doc saying we have three starting lineups is that 
they probably should have had three starting lineups. Yeah, like, and they, they started one the entire time. They should have. They should have given Maxi opportunities with this group because there was going to come a point where, yeah, there is a matchup that's more favorable for Maxi where he can hide against you know this player where he wasn't able to hide mm-hmm. against Kyrie. That obviously was a big problem against Dallas. So, well, yeah, I mean. Just real quick. So so that would be another concern of mine if you're starting Maxi. And I know tonight's an extreme example because he started on Kyrie, which is I mean, you know, one of the worst matchups. I know Kyrie isn't super tall and you know the size advantage isn't as big, but one-on-one Kyrie might be the hardest player in the league to guard on the perimeter. Do you think with Maxi in their starting lineup because Harden and Embiid are playing well, but like do you think with Maxi in their starting lineup defensively, and I can't believe I'm making this point, but defensively, they're just going to get torched to start games and they're going to consistently fall behind. I know they didn't tonight, but they also shot the ball unbelievably to start the game. I mean, bo- both teams did. But the Sixers really had to shoot it well to keep up where where Maxi early on was getting torched. So part of the reason that I agree with that line of thinking is that I do think there's something to be said for. And this is the, honestly, it's funny now. The people who got mad at how the Sixers played defense under Brett Brown because they let guys get into a rhythm early, mm-hmm. a lot of them are now the same people who are saying, well, Maxi should start no matter what. And it's like, well, you could do that, but keep in mind that if James Harden and Tyrese Maxi are the starting backcourt, you're going to let a lot of guys get into a rhythm early in games. And that's, that's going to have tonight. a snowball effect throughout the game. Now, I will say that that might be a little oversold and you know i don't think the anthony melton did absolutely any better against kyrie irving in that game yeah. so that is something to consider i do think melton's value and i've said this on the podcast is more on wings like the jason tatum's jalen brown type guys i don't think he's all that good or at least hasn't been that good this year against guys like kyrie like i i just don't think that's a matchup that Mm-hmm. He has won too often for them. So I think it, it, maybe you oversell it on a night like tonight where on paper it's like, oh, man, asking Tyrese to guard Kyrie is bad. And then it's like, well, I don't have a ton of confidence in Melton there. So I, I could see like, yeah, just play the better offensive player and hope you do it. But, you know, again, not to give away too much of what I'm writing for tomorrow, but I think the line of thinking is less about, you know, Maxi and Harden are, are going to stop people on defense and more about Maxi should be playing with Joel as much as possible because he's such a bad defender. And I know that you're adding to Joel's problems by playing Tyrese and James at the same time. But if you're asking me, you know, who's better equipped to play with the Harden Maxi backcourt? Is it Joel Embiid to start the game? And then, you know, as they get into the bench groups and Harden comes out, and it's just Maxi with whether it's Melton or Shake Milton or whoever it is, or is it Paul Reed or PJ Tucker who, yeah. you know, b- when Maxi's coming off the bench, you can basically guarantee that he's going to be playing with whoever the backup center is for at least, you know, four or five minutes of that, that run that Joel Embiid's on the bench. So then you end up in a situation where if you're staggering your stars and you do have James Harden coming back, then it's James and it's Tyrese and it's potentially George Niang. And you have that right there is, and they're different defenders and or they're bad defenders in different ways, but that's three bad defenders in that lineup just right off the rip. And so whether it's Paul Reed, Dwayne Dedman, PJ Tucker, Montrez Harrell, 
none of those guys are in a position to do basically anything to stop the bleeding on defense. But what do you make of the fact that tonight it felt like Maxie made his biggest run of the game when he was surrounded by bench guys? I know he was going against bench guys too, because I think it was the start, end of the third, start of the fourth ish is when they went on that 17 0 run. Maxie's unbelievable. And I actually thought Doc had an interesting decision to make. It was like that 17 0 run. The bench was playing great. Maxie was hot. I think they got it down to either four or six when the timeout was called. And they didn't bring in Bede right in, if I'm not mistaken. I think they brought uh, James they, did come back, but yeah, Joel uh, stayed on the right. bench for a minute. Doc Doc uh, went went to Harden and not in Bede. What'd you think of that decision at the time? Part of me, what, first of all, I was surprised to see it. Part of me was thinking, well, ride the hot hand, ride the bench, keep with it. But Embiid hadn't been playing poorly. Embiid was Embiid was playing well, and you know, I think with all bench lineups like that, they they have their limit of how long they can actually be effective. I would have gone to to Embiid in that spot, but what'd you think of that decision? I mean, I think it's one where you basically can't win as a coach. It's like, well, this is the group that got you here, but right. if the the game goes the other way because you leave the uh, the bench guy, all the bench guys on the floor with Maxi, then it's like, well, why didn't he bring? Yeah, why don't you bring well him in? in? Like. Right. There's way more downside than there's maybe you win if you leave the all bench group in and they sustain this run and, and whatever a fluky victory happens. Odds are that's not going to happen. But the downside there is so much worse than just bringing back your stars, at least like the perception downside, I mm-hmm. should say. You bring Joel and James back in and you say, well, the bench got it close. I brought our guys back in and they couldn't close it out. What can you do? It happens. Versus you leave the all bench guys in and then they get tuned up and it's like, rah, 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 why didn't he bring Joel <laughs> back in the game? And it's just, you know, Doc can't win regardless or any coach in that situation can't win regardless. Well, it's a I, tough one. I, I probably, I probably would have just let the bench guys keep going just mm-hmm. because they were on such a heater, but that's easy to say where I have no pressure or expectations on me. I'm just some guy watching and reporting on the team. Well, and I as, don't know. Uh, as someone that wrote a pro doc article this week, it's not surprising <laughs> to hear you uh, just completely defend the guy, but no, um, I do actually want to talk about that. Maybe, excuse me in a little bit, but the last maxi related question I had for you was why tonight, right? I mean, it's a tough matchup. It's a second leg of a back-to-back. You have a few days off before Milwaukee. He has said before, you know, the three lineup thing, and it's been one lineup the entire time. Are they? Do you think they're about to start this a rotation of multiple lineups, or do you think Maxi has texted Doc and been like, "Nah, it's my time. Like, I'm I'm going back in the starting lineup." I, I honestly, I don't know. I'm sure you know there are some reporters on the ground in Dallas. That's true. Tonight, yeah, yeah. So, well, uh, I can well, almost guarantee that that'll be yeah. Let me that'll be one that. of the first you, things asked. Do you think Maxi starts against Milwaukee? Oh. Um, I guess it kind of depends on who Milwaukee starts. Um, Chris Middleton's been coming off the bench for them. Mm -hmm. I think it is a little harder to justify starting him against a Milwaukee, like a normal version of Milwaukee, because Holiday Middleton backcourt, then Giannis, then there's Brooke Lopez. And yeah, the size. The size is just overwhelming in that group. But if Middleton comes off the bench, you know, I, I think you could maybe sneak Maxi in there. You, you never know. I, so, I, I don't I wouldn't feel bad about if he's hiding out on like a, a Jay Crowder type player, right. for example. I, I mean, he's Jay Crowder's not gonna do anything with that. So, yeah, it kind of it depends on uh, 
how Milwaukee sets up as my dog starts whining at me. <laughs> I guess at forty at night. Have they lost since they signed Jay Crowder? Well, they haven't lost in, in a while. <laughs> yeah, that's so. what I was gonna say. Yeah, but so the other thing about the three lineup thing, and so it'll be really interesting to see who they start on Saturday night. Um, is do you think that's something they can do in the playoffs? I'm trying to think of a last team that had multiple starting lineups, not injury related in the playoffs. I, you know, I don't cover every team obviously, but I can't remember the last time in the playoffs, this teams were doing multiple lineups. So I feel like if you're going to move back to maxi, then you just got to ride it from here on out. I don't know if now's the time to be going to Melton on Saturday night because of size and then maxi on whatever their next game is because of this. I think like in the playoffs, you want your five guys, you know, are starting every night, even just for, you know, we talked about this with maxi, in his uh, role on the bench, just mentally. So guys know what their role is. Guys know like how they're going to be used in these big pressure spots. Because in big pressure spots, there's already going to be a lot on their mind, right? It's going to be the playoffs. There's going to be expectations. The stage is going to be bigger. If they're going into a night not knowing what their, their role is, that seems counterproductive heading into the most important part of the season. Well, I disagree in the sense that the number one tweak that you see in the playoffs, if a team's losing in a series – First thing to do, all right, this guy's not starting. We're switching who's who okay. the starting group is. I mean, you saw that in the Boston series in 2018 when TJ McConnell was put into the starting lineup over Rob Covington. That was obviously well, that, a big... But uh, that, seems like, uh, that seems reactionary as opposed to being the game plan going into the playoffs. You know what sure, I'm saying? Like, but I'm saying, I, yeah, I agree with that, that it's a thing that ideally, yeah, if you had one lineup that you could play every time every game against every team that's the ideal right i don't <laughs> like think they teams. have that i don't think no but i don't think no, they sorry, have that sort of team. Team. i don't think they have that sort of team and frankly i don't think a lot of contenders have that sort of team like i mean even if you look at a team like phoenix their top four guys are going to start every night right mm -hmm. chris paul devin booker kevin durant deandre ayton righted and sharpie who start? Who's the fifth guy starting in that group? Well, but who the difference is the difference is we agree Maxi is their third best player. So you're talking about the third best player versus the Suns' fifth. Well, yeah, fifth best player. So that's a major. I mean, the, the fifth guy on the Suns doesn't super matter. Whereas what Maxi does might end up deciding how these playoffs go. Obviously, how Embiid plays and how Harden plays is going to be big. But if Embiid and Harden give you, I don't know, a a minus games, right? Like a minus series then it really could be the difference between Maxi being a C plus and Maxi being a B plus like that. That could be the difference in games. Sure. But I do think, you know, it speaks to the type of third best guy Maxi is like, he is not as much as some people wanted to anoint him. This, he is not their third star. Like Tyrese Maxi is not a star level guy. He just as good as he is. And for a guy as young as he is, he is not a star player yet. Like he mm -hmm. is not, the consistent night to night performer that you need to be, or, you know, the two way impact guy that you need to be to be considered like a true star. So, you know, if you're just talking about the Sixers have two stars and everybody else is sort of a, where do I fit in? How do I, you know, go about my business here? You know, honestly, I think the conversation that maybe we can have that is not going to happen in the Sixers locker room, or what are the matchups where maybe Tobias Harris should be the guy who sits, or maybe PJ Tucker is the sits guy who to sits start or sits in yes. like big moments? Okay. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, either one. Like you yeah, could yeah. say they're the they're the same conversation essentially because 
coaches love to say, well, the starting lineup doesn't matter. It's who closes. But most of the time, it's the same group. Like they, they're mm-hmm. just trying to make it, make their way around calling the, these guys the five most important guys on the team, right? And I, I do think there is too much of a deferral. Like obviously, James and Joel are going to start every game. But as we've seen just this week, for example, Tobias Harris is capable of having a two-point game in, in a game against a good playoff type yeah. team. And I don't even like, I don't think Miami's very good. They have one of the worst offenses in the league this year. They obviously have a lot of like defensive voodoo. And they, I mean, I, I maintain in a playoff series, the Sixers would win the playoff series, but I do not want to see Miami in the opening round. Like, there was would... actually, there's a guy who was on Bill Simmons's podcast, who's a friend of his. I think it was this week where mm-hmm. he was like, I know they suck, but nobody wants to play them. And it's like, <laughs> you're, you're a, a living true. example. You're a living example <laughs> of that. Like they are genuinely one of the worst offenses in the league. Very similar to Toronto last year where they just can't score in the half court. And everyone's like, well, Jimmy Butler in the playoffs and blah, blah, well, blah. But that's the difference. Like, so, you know, we didn't record after that Miami loss, but I think this year I've been pretty good on not doing too much of the roller coaster that maybe I'm known for. I've been pretty positive on the team, I, I think, throughout. But but the Miami loss, to me, the biggest concerning part of that loss was, and you saw it a little bit tonight, I guess maybe not too much because they were down so big. But in that Miami game, Jimmy Butler made an unbelievable shot. I think it was 99-99 uh, or maybe it was 199. It was like the, one of their last baskets of the game unbelievable shot he goes into the lane like ducks under a fender hits a layup right next possession Embiid shots blocked next possession Harden misses a three so my concern and I'm using Miami for this but maybe on a larger scale that I've seen in this stretch of games is like are Embiid and Harden going to make big plays in the clutch it might sound like a basic question but when you're one and three in these games Embiid wasn't great against the Grizzlies neither of them came up big against Miami and then tonight was a bit of an anomaly because the Mavs shot so big but for what it's worth, like Kyrie and Luca won that game for them and beat and Harden, they, like they didn't lose it for them, but they didn't win it for them either. So I don't know. That's been one concern for me over this kind of four game stretch is as good as Harden is playing. And I tweeted tonight that when they're at their best, I think they go into almost any series with two of the best three players. There's probably one or two teams we could think of, but there's not five or six teams that have two better players than them when they're playing their best. But against Miami, they came up small. They didn't win the game tonight. And then they lost that Celtics game. So there is a, a part of me that's wondering that as good as they are, you know, we, we say it so often, it's going to come down to them. You know, do you, has this stretch kind of shaken your confidence at all? Cause you've said, you think is indeed the difference this year is he's big enough to win or playing well enough to win these games from has this stretch shaken your confidence at all, all in that? Not really. I mean, look, the Miami loss that comes down to James gets a good look at a three final play and just misses it. And well, Embiid got his top the, block too. And Embiid sure, but but again, they had a chance at a game winner, and it was not like oh, Joel threw a three right, quarter a court look. shot at the end of the Boston game. It was a real play and a real shot, and he missed it. And look, that's good execution, bad result. Like that's something that you live with. Mm. I have a tougher time with Dallas game, you know, with the schedule stuff included just because there's a lot of bad process in there right I I think there's a lot of overhelping off of shooters there's you know Joel sitting way too far back and drop and you know whether you want to say some of that is effort or some of it's just the game plan or whatever it is that's not good the Sixers didn't do the best job of you know 
Josh Green is probably someone you just want to leave alone from three. You can leave that guy closer to the paint, whoever's defending him, and then they're in position to be the low man so that when Joel has to come up and defend when Kyrie or Luka is penetrating, mm-hmm. there's some, excuse me, there's somebody back there who doesn't have to close on like a really good shooter in the corner. Like they got burned a lot tonight by the low man was on Reggie Bullock, for example, who just had an absolute field day making open three after open three in the corner. And so you, you just want to be using the guy who is on the worst shooter to be in that spot. Like you can't always dictate that, but you can game the matchups a little bit just to set it up so that you're trying to, funnel the offense toward the worst possible player. I mean, we've seen other teams do it to the Sixers because part of the reason that everyone, well, I shouldn't say everyone, that I was so low on Matisse Thibel and a lot of other people were, while there were some, you know, big supporters of his, because it (laughs) seemed like whenever Thibel was in a game, teams were always fairly successful at making the Sixers get the ball over to him rather than, you know, just let him hang out there. If you want to ignore him, we're still going to score anyway. So right. that's something that I, I think they need to work on in terms of the X's and O's and game plan and matchup, that sort of deal. Um, otherwise, you know, again, 25 threes, a team can only make 25 threes if they have just an absolutely ridiculous night. The one concern I would say with that is just that, We are starting to, if you just look back through the schedule, there have been a lot of nights for the Sixers specifically where it's like, man, this team had like an all-time great shooting night. And they were able to escape with wins in some of them, right? Like the the Nets game that they won where I think it was – well, the Celtics oh, like, game. What did Horford make? Like three, like three or four threes in that game. Well, or that something? wasn't even. That was like a normal good shooting game. I'm talking about the the Nets. The one night that the Sixers beat them had, I think it was the third best shooting game and a loss ever, mm-hmm. ever. Like in the history of basketball. Wow. And so, when you have a few of those games, you start to say. Uh, I don't know, man. Maybe they're just not doing something right. And so the the themes we've been talking about, the overhelping off of guys, missed rotations or, or late rotations, some of that falls on Joel where you know he has his big responsibilities in the middle of the floor, but then there are definitely times where he's a little too lackadaisical closing out on guys. They're missing people in transition. There are things that they are doing that are allowing teams to get these looks. Now, look, by and large, they're a good defensive team. They're a top 10 defensive team, which that's the that's minimum. Real, do you think that's just, I'm curious. I do. You I do? mean, okay. any team right. with Joel Embiid is going to be a good defense. Now, whether they're a great defense with the other guys they have in the supporting cast is another story, but well, I maybe, think Joel, yeah. Joel, the one thing you could say about him, you know, we could talk about coming up small and playoff moments and hasn't been good enough on offense, always hurt, blah, blah, blah. Their defense has generally been good enough to win. Like the, the with Joel on the floor in the playoffs playing 38, 40 minutes a game, they have defended well enough to go to the conference finals finals. That's how good their defense has been. But mm-hmm. they have not been able to score. And so that's part of the reason that I'm bullish on this team, right? Is that I think they can just outscore teams now. I have enough confidence in Joel as a scorer. And James, now that he's back closer to who he was earlier in his career, that I think they're going to find a way to to score points when it matters. 
And I just trust that Joel is going to be able to manufacture some stops for them just basically by himself. So I do want to get into the Milwaukee game because we don't often preview games here, but I think this game is worth previewing. It's a massive game. I'm interested to see what you have to say about it. But I also do want to, you know, to, to shift on from the Mavs. I do want to talk about the James Harden article that came out because you just mentioned Harden is Harden is getting close to the player he was. He'll probably never be the exact same player, but like he had 19 and 10 at halftime tonight. I mean, he is like playing at an unbelievable level right now. I think when he's playing like that, you can make the argument they're at their best when he's their best offensive player over Joel just because of what he does and how he gets guys involved. And that's no knock on Joel. It's just how good he, Harden is as, as a floor general and as a passer. But there was an article this week from The Athletic. Um, it was a long article, as most athletic articles are. And it, uh, you know, it was basically saying James really – I'm going to paraphrase here, but I think it's pretty accurate – James really has interest in going back to Houston. Like my overall vibe from reading it was James Hart is in Houston. It, it, he wants to be there. He wants to end his career there. He has ties to it. It's a very real possibility. I'm curious, you know, the, in the article, it talked about how the Sixers can pay him more money, obviously, and that's going to be a factor. But I saw a good article today on LibertyBallers.com that highlighted that it might only be five or $6 million over four years. It's not going to be a, a ton more money. And when you factor in the state tax, it might not be more money at all. So you're around James and we, we've talked about this, but curious if this article changes your opinion at all. For me, it really did make it feel like the Houston, him leaving for Houston is a really real possibility. Curious what you thought of it. Uh, I have two thoughts that are going to seem like they're completely disconnected, but I promise that they Those are they can they, they so can coexist they can coexist in the same person. Um, I don't like I don't really think that there is anything that noteworthy in that article, and I respect the reporting of uh, of Sam and Kelly who put that out, and I just. I don't know why we're even talking about this at this point. Like, well, I think there's a very real possibility that James goes to Houston, right? Like, I think that if you hear this as often and as consistently as we have, that at a certain point, it's like people are hearing things for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. I think the best recent example of this is when LeBron goes back to L.A., there was a lot of smoke in the year leading up. Like he's going to go to the Lakers. And at the time it looks really stupid, right? Because they were nothing but a bunch of young players and assets and whatever. And, Oh, LeBron's going to go LeBron who is carving out a path to potentially be the greatest player of all time. Who wants to compete for championships, whatever. He's going to go join this young team with no real trajectory right. over staying in Cleveland on a, team he's contended with over and over again or going to the Sixers who were the other big suitor at the time took a meeting with his agent all that who had at the time we thought Ben Simmons is this big ascending star Joel yeah, Embiid obviously game. was a big ascending star but clearly we're in a better position to compete right then than the Lakers were yep and LeBron goes to the Lakers anyway because of you know 800 different yeah. reasons Space Jam too yeah and so it's why I do say, despite the fact that I'm like, I don't care about this story and it's just no real new news, but I do also say <laughs> James could very well leave for Houston. Like as much yeah. as I say all this stuff, like 
He's a loser if he goes back there because he doesn't want to win. There are so many things that can change, right? Between right now on March the 2nd, the Houston Rockets are a disaster. Like present day, one of the worst teams, if not the worst team in the league, might get the number one overall pick, are going to be more concerned with whether they get Scoot Henderson or Victor Wembanyama or what they can do in the – like whatever. But they could also take all that they have, which is, you know, whatever you think of their young talent, all the draft picks that they got from Brooklyn, draft picks and draft swaps in that trade that sent James to Brooklyn in the first place. And they could just say, we're going to completely flip the team in a matter of, I don't know, you could say in a day, a week, whatever it is. James in it, like now that James has an agent, that's the other thing. It's like, James doesn't need to negotiate this summer, right? If we're just talking strictly, this is the contract I'm getting and how long I'm getting it for. His play has been good enough that he's going to sign for the most amount of years and the most amount of money he can get. You don't have wiggle room in negotiations anymore, right? Unless he suffers a devastating injury or he has the worst playoff run in the history of basketball. I just don't see a scenario where... James gets anything less than the max, right? So no need to have an agent to negotiate. The reason you have an agent is because that's someone who can do all the like in-between stuff and the, the weird tampering and talking to other agents of other people and say, hey, James might be interested in playing with so-and-so. Where, where are they at with their happiness with their team, with their contract and so on and so forth? And look, like James could do that, but I don't think James is going to do that while he's actively in pursuit of a title in Philadelphia. But now this gives James someone by his side who's saying, hey, look, I can do this for you. So you have all the options on the table in the offseason. So while I still think it's a loser move if he goes there, because I just don't think you're going to turn Houston from a, a bullshit team into a contender overnight. I do think that, it should be taken seriously. So it's funny you say that you have kind of conflicting thoughts inside. I kind of have the same. Like on one hand, if you look at Houston, they have the most cap space projected this summer. They might have the number one pick. They have all those picks. And I think it's important when talking about this to put yourself in how we're going to feel when or if they lose in the second round. Because if that happens, James can definitely make a case in his head. Okay, I'll take Bradley Beal with me to Houston, and and I'll also have the number one pick. Or I'll take Jimmy. I don't know Jimmy, like whoever, somebody else with you. That that's a star that might get moved. Or, or even or, like take it a step further. If they get the number one pick, that's the most valuable draft asset in like, yeah, maybe the history like of the LeBron. league. Since like, I mean, yeah, it, if they were to say we'll trade this pick in a deal to get another star like let's say they get james to commit and james is like i'm only going to commit if you trade for one if not more than one guy to come Mm -hmm. here with me and i'm like the godfather in houston but i also have you know two or two a plus type running mates if houston were to put victor Wembanyama on the table that is like maybe the most fascinating trade scenario in the history of the league. And you could go to maybe like as many as like 20 teams 
and say, would you trade your best player just for that pick? Now, obviously, you have to do all the salary matching and yeah, all that yeah, stuff. Right, but right. like, but just but that, that immediately becomes, if you get that pick, and look, they're going to have about as good a chance as yeah, anybody. What is it now? Needs. It's like the top three have an equal chance is how it works. Yeah, right? it's so I don't. I don't quote me. I don't know the well. Tankathon has the top it. three teams at having a fourteen percent chance, which makes me say that. Yeah, so and like, you go yeah. down to the sixth team, you have a nine percent chance at six, seven and a half at seven. So, like, even it, yeah. they don't have an overwhelming chance to get the number one pick, but it's a good chance. And in the scenario where Harden's coming and you want to compete right away. You could. I, I'm not saying it's the smart thing to do. I honestly think you'd probably be better off just keeping Wembenyama and moving everything else, and you know, yeah. not doing well, that. But mm-hmm. if you wanted to say we want to go for it right now, there is no better way to do that than just saying, "Here's Victor on a platter for whoever wants it. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's, let's well, get it done." And- what I always thought has been intriguing and it will tie this back more to the Sixers in a second. This isn't a, a rockets pod, but uh, you know, what's even though you want it to be some idea. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, let's be real. They lost tonight. Let's talk about a fun rumor, but I do think there's an intriguing part for James of, I have Victor Webb and Yama. I have all these young players around me. I can kind of like not ride off into the sunset, but if these guys develop around me and he's playing like a top, whatever player right now, top 10, 12, however far you want to stretch it that there's an intriguing part of that where he's not going there where he has to win the title next year. He's going there with, okay, next year, maybe we compete. And then if these guys develop the year after I have like two or three really, really good guys around me that I can, you know, be the third fiddle to uh, for the final two or three years of my career. But from a Sixers perspective, and this is my, my kind of counterpart to how I'm feeling about like the fear of losing him because he's playing really well and it feels like a really real chance. The counter to that is it's hard for me to envision a scenario where we're on this pod saying, give Harden the max and you have to do it. And he says no to that because if they lose in the second round and, you know, there's a, a tons of variations of way they could lose. But if they lose in the second round, more than likely, we're probably sitting here and going, do you want to run it back with this team? What move can you make to, to make it different? Right. So in that case, we're probably not saying you have to pay Harden the max. If they win the title at that point. You're like, well, they just won the title. So if he leaves, it sucks, but it is what it is. And then if they flame out, we're probably not. Banner hangs forever. It doesn't matter if it's one or or 10. That banner's always going to be up there. So it's hard for me to envision a scenario where Maury is on the phone with Harden saying, we really, really, really want you back. And he says, no, it just feels like this will, this will solve itself. You know, I I don't, I think the, the scenario where it becomes a real conflict is such a small percentage of happening. They would have to like lose the conference finals in a really close series or, and then like, but also they're playing well enough that you envision it's worth running it back for them. So while I do think there's a good chance he leaves, and I agree with you, like I think his heart is in Houston. I think it almost might even be decided that this is what he's going to do. Like he's already painted the picture in his head of what he's going to do. I think this is probably the last real run with this team anyway. So I I don't know if it matters that much. (coughs) Sorry, I did cough there. That's okay. I've been like half burping for this. Well, and I'll say this, this this is a good time to bring it up. Like, so people have been leaving five-star reviews, which is very nice. A lot of kind things. I'm aware there's been an issue with the mic. I talked to my work today about it. I'm trying to figure it out. So if hopefully it doesn't happen today, I think we've got a potential fix there. But just want to say that to all the loyal listeners. I apologize for the mic. I'm sure it's annoying when it spikes in your ear. 
but we are working on it to make it better. So thank you for those who have left five-star reviews while also saying the mic thing. Well, so I haven't heard any audio spikes so far. So hopefully that's I never do either. I think the, it's, yeah. I, I definitely mean, hear them when they normally happen. So cool. All right. Awesome. Maybe um, it was a setting. I try to just uh now I, I just try to be professional and power through. So yes, yes. Um to that last point that you were making about, you know, if if they win a title or they don't or they lose in the second round, like I mean the move to make and it all circles back to Maxi, if they don't win, you trade Tobias Tobias is expiring, Maxi and anything else that isn't nailed down, you go and try to get the best third guy you can. And that's it. Like, but that's yeah. only you can only do that if James signs the long-term deal. If he opts out and it's he's like, I'm here for four years, I'm here till the wheels fall off. That's the only way you can do it. Because you know, if you sign him and he does the thing that NBA players are doing now, where they're here for a year and then it's he like just leaves, yeah. Nah, you know, I I went out and they asked for a trade, like. Maybe the contract is toxic at that point, but it feels like he's trending away from that sort of future where James is really good again. And there are a lot of teams that if they were to acquire him and add him to whatever they have, that that changes their fortunes a little bit. So, you know, I, I think in a reality where you get James to commit long-term, if they've flamed out. Now, I'm not saying that this is definitely what you do, but if you're asking, all right, how do they go from, they're still losing in the second round to potential contender. That to me is the most obvious one. It's, you know, if James commits, then you kind of have to abandon the idea of, well, Maxie's the safeguard against uh, James leaving because James is here and Joel is here. And right. if those two guys are gunning for a title and this is the window, right, then, then Maxie's you have doesn't to matter as much. You have to focus on that window. Like, this is no disrespect to Tyrese. And how good he is right now, how good he can be over the long term. But there are some weird, funky fit things. It's the reason we're talking about different starting lineups. It's the reason that Doc went to DeAnthony Melton for a while. You know, it's the reason he's been up and down. Like he's a small shooting guard. That kind of is what he is. He's not a real point guard. He's a point guard sized player who has a shooting guard skill set. And so that's the sort of guy that's going to be tricky to integrate within a contender in a high volume role. And, oh, by the way, he's also approaching the time where he's probably going to get a gigantic extension at some point in the next, you know, year, mm -hmm. year and a half. Uh, well, really just the next six months, maybe. Yeah. Was, I would assume he probably, awesome, I would assume he's going to get one before the, be, before the start of next season, if I had to guess. Um, so yeah, like the time to move him, is prior to that extension when it's like whoever is trading for him is signing him to that deal and now has Maxi under team control for you know four or five years. You get Tobias is expiring. If if Maxi grows and maybe you can lure somebody young to play with him, you make another trade, you have the salary slot open up. So that's the sales pitch to somebody else. And then on the Sixers end, you're saying we got to go for it because it's only a, a matter of time before James or Joel or both decide I can't win together or I don't like this guy or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. These are all conversations that hinge on what happens in the playoffs. Like I, I would love to live in a world for my own, you know, workflow where I don't have to think about fake trades and free agency and all this stuff where 
they well, go win the title a, and it just run it back. Right and... now, but yeah, I have a fake trade <laughs> for you right now. But but maybe I'll maybe I'll save it. We'll get right into Milwaukee. Um, actually, no, I won't. So Victor Weminyama, you mentioned twenty teams would probably trade their best player. Real quick before we get into it, if you're the Sixers and you have the ability to trade him for Embiid, would you do it? No, but there would be a lot of people who would. I mean, okay. Because look, I think he like if you're gonna say there's a sure thing, I don't think there are ever sure things because of injuries and whatever. Like this yeah. is the guy, right? He's got guard skills, he's absolutely gigantic, great defender. He looks every bit like he's going to be the next generational like guy. Um well, Durant, if he were also like a center rim protector, which yeah. he's going to have to fill out and get stronger, there is going to be some concern about whether some like older veteran guys can just bully him early on. Obviously, the wingspan and the height is a great equalizer, but it's the same thing to a lesser extent that Chet Holmgren is going to deal with when he actually plays next year because guy is huge and was a great defender at the college level, but is rail skinny and it's like you know how does that work in the early yeah. days so i still don't think like you have a guy that you know is a genuine superstar mvp level guy in his prime can win a title and like yeah there are all these question marks with joel still trying to get it done but we don't have any idea how Wembenyama's career is going to turn out and almost every time that you trade a, a superstar level player for, you know, we're trying to get younger and we're betting on this guy and upside and all that. It almost always goes wrong. Always. It, mm -hmm. it never rarely ever favors the team that's going for the prospect rather than the guy who's, you know, the much better player at that time. Yeah. At least in the NBA. I think that's probably fair. Um, I do want to talk to you about the Bucks game. So, so let's get into it. Saturday night in Milwaukee, right? Is you in Milwaukee? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. 8 30 p.m. ABC game, maybe. There you go. So, I mean, look, it's a massive game. Uh, prime time uh, against the team that you're still trying to chase for potentially that number two seed. Um, I mean, ton of pressure, a pressure on Embiid, pressure on Harden, pressure on Maxi. Like, this is, you have to go into Milwaukee and look. I actually think, you know, I have this, uh, I have this thing with the Eagles where sometimes I want to see style points out of them. I, I need to see them win with style. I don't just need to see them win. I need to see them win with style. If they're playing a bad team or whatever, this to me is just go win the game. I don't care if you win 99 to 98. I don't care if you have to score 130 points to do it. Find a way, get it done. Just, just go win it. Cause to your point, there's been a lot of games where we have said, you know, oh, this, this, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But like, they don't make that one little extra play to, to win the big game. This isn't a style points game. This is just go win the game. But I do think the important component too is go win because it'll make fans believe in you more. If they lose Saturday night to Milwaukee, coming off of this loss, coming off the Boston loss, coming off of splitting with Miami, look, I think you're going to see a lot of people really, really out on this team. I tend to agree. And look, I think if you're, if I see, some BS motivational stretch during this game where they're moping around on defense or mm -hmm. Harden is not paying attention or Joel is failing to close out on guys. Like this is like the regular season game. Milwaukee is on a 16 game winning streak. You are coming off 
a loss to Dallas on national TV. You're one and three this week. You have absolutely everything to prove, even if you set aside like proving stuff to the fans or the media yeah, or whoever. To yourselves, yeah. This is about proving something to yourself that you can go out and beat a real deal contender. Like there are some people who think the Bucs are just straight up the best team in the league. And considering they've won 16 straight games, right now there's not a great argument against that. They are the number one seed in the East. And yeah, they've won the title you know, they, before. They've won the title. They have, you know, if I were to sit here and ask you who is the first guy, current guy, you'd want to build a team around. If Giannis isn't first, he is going to be very high on your list. Yeah, so he's you know, 1A. Yeah, he's right yeah, there. Like I, he's an unbelievable player, a guy that – Joel tends to get up for these games. And it's also a team that I, Joel had a good game in the last meeting, but he has had some trouble situationally against these guys before. Like Brooke Lopez, very, very good defender mm. starting at center. And so this is a, a true MVP stakes type game for Joel Embiid. It's a huge game for the team. We get to see what does Maxi look like? How does Doc sub this game? I think we've seen, and we've talked about it some on the podcast, in these big games, Doc has chosen to sub it more like I think he'd sub a playoff game where he is staggering Joel and James and he's treating it with the level of seriousness that a game like that probably deserves, even if it's in the regular season. So I agree with you. Like this is, I don't want to hear, like I'll probably sit here on Sunday morning when we do our next pod <laughs> after they inevitably lose and Milwaukee wins their yeah. 17th straight game. And I'll say, well, there's still a lot of good signs, but like, I agree with you in my heart of hearts. I think they need to win this game. Like well, I, so I think that's what, that's what I was going to ask you. Is there a world? Cause look, on, look, if they win on Saturday, maybe we're talking about them still being running for the two seed. But realistically, they're what four and a half back, or is it five and a half now because because of the loss tonight? Well, so here's the problem: the real issue with Milwaukee pushing to number one is they have no chance to pass Boston at two. Like, yeah, that that's we've talked about. The tiebreaker with Boston was a problem for the one seed. It's also a problem for the two seed. So, yeah, not ideal. They are basically stuck in three unless they catch Milwaukee and you know in that case if they're able to catch Milwaukee at the pace they're playing at maybe they end up in the one seed but it's just a, a really weird jumble well it's gonna right be now. funny when not funny my might not be the right word but when we're doing pods in the final week being like should the Sixers tank to fall to four and then like avoid avoid Boston in the second round but um the what I was gonna ask you was is there a way they lose on Sunday or Saturday and you can actually still feel good. Or are you also in like have to win this game mode? I mean, again, I don't have the. Emotional... You felt good after the Boston loss, at least better. I did, but I I felt good after the Boston loss off the strength of you know this has been a long, basically three month run where mm -hmm. they've done almost nothing but win, and they've had a lot of gut check, crunch sure. time, chips are down type wins. You know, we could go through them two games on the road on a back-to-back -back in LA and Utah that they win on last second plays in crunch time. Great wins. They get a win in Sacramento where Joel and James both sit and they find a way to, to pull that game out of the fire. I mean, there's, there's just lots of games like that over that period where it's like, okay, I'm willing to say you can lose a game to Boston in crunch time and we don't have to burn the city of Philadelphia down. But, <laughs> you know, as they get into this tough stretch, 
I get if there's an escalating level of concern from the fan base because it's one thing to win games in December and January when you have a little bit of a softer schedule. If you hit this tough slate and all we're doing is throwing up our hands and saying, well, it's just a tough schedule and there's nothing they can do. Well, then you don't really believe in them as a contender. Like that to me says everything. So I can sit here and say, yeah, there's a silver lining in this Bucks game if they lose and there's a lot of good stuff and we can point to positives. But yeah, they need to get results. Like this can't just be the silver lining march. Like that, if that's yeah. not good enough, they need to find ways to experiment and for Joel to play well and James to play well. And Doc to you know set up the rotation and, and Maxi to find his way, and they need to do all that and still win games. The period. So, That's the end of the discussion. I I agree. Like I I think Saturday night is is massive in getting a win. But last question I'll have for you: going into the game, what do you look? We talked about the big picture ramifications from a matchup perspective, how they can win the game, what you're interested in seeing, what are the the you know X's and O's inside the game type of thing you're looking for in this matchup? Well, one, and Doc did not do this tonight, which is, I think, a big part of why the game got away from them. They have to stagger Joel and James. Like, enough of this all-bench lineup. I know the all-bench lineup worked at the start of the fourth quarter, but that was just about Tyrese going on a blinder for, you know. And they were also against a lot of bench guys on the maps, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and it's a, like, I don't put as much stock into that kind of stuff when it's a, that was clearly a situation where Dallas has taken their foot off the gas yep. and look credit to Tyrese and those guys that were on the floor. They took advantage of the the discrepancy in motivation. But I do think to your point earlier about there's only so much room for experimentation and all that, where I do agree with that, where I do think they need to start honing in is you do need to kind of start subbing games as if, this is a playoff game. Like mm-hmm. this is the type of rotation. Maybe not, you're not going to shrink it down yet. Like you're still playing nine, 10 guys every night, hopefully, but you still need to get guys in at the times that you're expecting for them to come in during a playoff game. Like James is going to be in at the start of second quarters, the start of fourth quarters. And what you're changing is not that you're changing who he's playing alongside. Like maybe it's Daniel house jr. On one night, maybe it's George and Yang when you need some extra shooting. Maybe you see Shake Milton and DeAnthony Melton in a, you know, a, a three guard. I know we talked about three guards earlier in the year. Yeah, it's but like a different version of, a, <laughs> but a different version of, you know, three guards. So that's the sort of stuff I want to see is Doc straddling that middle ground between, yeah, we need to shift some things around and shake some things up, but also treat these games with the seriousness they need to. I'm not saying you play Joel 40 minutes or James 40 minutes, but these are proven ground type games. And you want to come out of this thing. I might. (laughs) I I might be good going all in and try to win this game and prove that you can do it. I guess. I mean, Milwaukee has a rest advantage coming into this game. They're just going to be sitting around waiting for this one. So you're going to need a lot to win this one. And again, this whole month is so relentless that you can't really afford to say, well, this game matters and the rest of them don't because, you know, let's say for the sake of discussion that they just throw everything at the Bucks. Well, then they have a back-to-back a few days later. Yeah, it is Then brutal. it's just like they have more of them the rest of the month and Joel's probably going to have to sit some of those. We saw him sit the uh, the Wednesday game in Miami. Yep. Like just to get – so it's Milwaukee, then Indiana, Minnesota, 
back-to-back Monday, Tuesday. They're home for two games, and then they go back on the road. They have another back-to-back in Charlotte and Indiana, which is not really an especially close back-to-back. No. And so, and then later in the month, they have a back-to-back in Golden State and Phoenix, and it's like yeah, it just never stops. So you can't. The reason you can't sell out for one game, even though, like, I agree with you. If you're talking about spiritually and for the sake of getting one of these games in the bag, where it's like, all right, both teams are at full strength. These are and two won, teams. Yeah. One is the one seed currently on the longest win streak in the league with a potential MVP candidate, like a year in year out MVP candidate and a team that you're gunning for in the East that you are probably going to have to beat to go to the finals. This is a game that means a lot. Like that's one that you'll look back when you get to the playoffs and say, I don't give a shit if we're down 15 points to, you know, the Knicks or Mm -hmm. the heat or one of these other like lower half of the East playoff teams. Cause we can beat Milwaukee. We've, come back against the Clippers. We beat the Denver Nuggets and you just build up this reservoir of, of belief amongst these guys. And, you know, they already sort of have that, like the fact that they fought back in this Mavs game, despite the fact that I'd still think it was kind of a fake comeback that shows you that there is more of that belief that they're never out of games. But I do think that this would be a signature win in a way that maybe none of their other games have been save for the Denver game. Well, we do know if there's anything about this team is they play hard for Doc, right? So they, <laughs> they're all they're never out of it with Doc. So, all right. I mean, look, we're going to record Sunday morning. It sounds like we both think they're probably going to lose, but who knows? Maybe we'll uh, we'll be talking about the biggest win of the season, renewed hope, ending the Bucks' winning streak. Maybe that'll be Sunday morning. Who knows? So, um, anything else you wanted to get to before we wrap this up? No, I mean, I, I guess by the time people are listening to this, the uh, the Maxi article that I basically had written will yes finally be up on the website. I'll make some tweaks to that overnight. And well, you can I'm actually imagine. curious. Yeah. I'm curious <laughs> yeah. to see what the numbers actually say the lineups look like now after they got absolutely bulldozed tonight yeah. in Dallas. <laughs> well, good news. You can just embed the pod at the top of the article and then people don't even have to read it. No, I'm just Perfect. kidding. Everyone read the article. I'm sure it's going to be very good. Like I said, man, when you have a take, just tweet that bad boy out. You know, just, just tweet it out. Get it going and you'll be... Uh, Unfortunately, Elliot, they paid me to be a writer and not a tweet. Good point. So, not yet. Uh, not everyone only has to write in 280 characters at a time or whatever. So, um, all right. So this has been another episode, a post-game episode of Clap Your Hands. We will be back on Sunday morning uh look who knows maybe saturday night if it's a good enough to win but we'll be back after the button no you podcasting not. at midnight buddy i don't think so well, i'll be up saturday. anyway but yeah but um this has been another episode of clap your hands like i said thank you to everybody that's leaving the five star reviews they're awesome i check them every day i enjoy reading them hopefully the mic has been better and we don't have to deal with that anymore but uh look forward to talking to you on uh sunday morning after hopefully a six or win. no more silver linings baby. Hey, there you go. No more silver linings. All right. Talk to you guys next time.